Welcome to the Gridiron Show, and this is our Roundtable NFL UK special. Jeff Reinbold, Neil Reynolds, Liam Blackburn, and the original Triple B, Will Gavin, sat around a table and chatting all things, well, I say chatting, us asking them questions, them telling us about it. The history of NFL UK, the future of NFL in the UK, the four games this season, loads to get into. It's genuinely really enjoyable. This is the Gridiron Show. Hello, welcome to the Gridiron Show in association with Touchdown Trips. By the time this is released, we'll be just a few days away from the schedule being announced, so make sure to register your interest now. £100 refundable deposit if you want to get involved. We're going to be doing our Deep South Tour, and it's going to be absolutely brilliant. At least two, hopefully up to three or four NFL games. Two college games, a Friday Night Lights game. We're going to try and get a basketball or a, or a hockey or whatever in there as well. It's going to be a brilliant 10 days or so, and we'd love for you to join. It's going to be around the £2,000 mark. Me, Ollie, Matt Sherry, Simon Clancy, Ben Mortimer, and loads of other NFL fans. It's going to be really, really good fun. So touchdowntrips.com, touchdowntrips on Facebook or Twitter. Get in there and register your interest now. Uh, This whole podcast, uh, about three four months ago now when they first announced the four games for 2017 uh, myself liam blackburn from pa and from gridiron sat down with jeff reinbold and neil reynolds you know them as the hosts of sky sports but also top guys from nfl uk and we talked about the history of the game the, you, if you don't know these guys history and how much they had involvement in NFL Europe, in everything that was happening then, that Pepsi Max gin just really got to me, and everything else. Then you really like. I think you'll find this quite enlightening, fun. Lots of geeky stories told. I really, really enjoyed doing this, and I think you'll really enjoy it as well. And just because this interview involves a lot of Liam Blackburn, me, Jeff Reinbolds, and Neil Reynolds, and I know you'll all miss Ollie Hunter if you don't hear from him. Hey, Ollie. Hey, man. I'm in Centre Park, Suffolk, with the family. Yeah. I'm thrilled about it as well. There you go. So there's your little fix of Ollie Hunter. Thank you for listening and enjoy this. Ten years ago, 2006, just ahead of the, the first game in 2007, what do you remember about the state of the NFL in the UK, the interest and, and that kind of thing? I mean, for me, it was it was one of those things where we felt like there was still that fan base there, but but it was there was a huge unknown. It was, it was a long time since the... Um, it was a long time since we'd had the American Bowl games. Those fizzled out. Uh, that felt like more of a fad that time around. But obviously there were numbers there in mm. terms of fans. Um, then we went through, and both me and Jeff kind of lived this NFL Europe. Uh, you know, be at Crystal Palace for for a Monarchs game, uh, and there's, there's five minutes to kick off, and you're staring at the entrances because there's not even fifteen hundred people in the in the stadium. So it kind of went to sort of really dark days and then getting the NFL back on terrestrial TV with the Super Bowl on Channel 5 to start with kind of slowly built it back up but everything was a everything was a struggle everything was like really trying to bang the drum for it um, and and with that in mind to, to have a game in 2007 was a was a pretty massive leap of faith for a league that doesn't really take huge amounts no, of chances. No, that's exactly right. You know, the, you go back to the Monarchs days in the original incarnation of what was the 
World League of American Football, I think they called it at that time. And you remember that that championship game here in Wembley sold out. And so there was hope. And when you viewed it from across the pond like I did, it was like, wow, that's an amazing phenomenon. Then you came over when it the, the league folded. Then it came back, I think, in 94, 95. And that's when I got involved with it. But it was a complete different environment you know whether it was crystal palace or white hart lane where we played this you know the monarchs you could count the number of people in the stands and if you'd have asked at that or said at that time one day there'll be four games played in not not preseason games not exhibition games but four real games played in the uk you could have put everybody that believed that in one closet I mean, it, it, it's it's phenomenal, and and Neil's exactly right. This the National Football League is not a business that takes risks, right? They don't unless to to understand. And I think this this always gets lost because when anything's successful, there's a million people want to take a bow. But there's a guy down the hallway from here that really put his entire career on the line. And somehow, somehow convinced the suits in New York that this thing could work. And we had just, and Neil was there as part of this. We had just closed but the league. NFL Europe just closed yeah, We had down, just yeah. closed the league. And then to think that you're going to close a league and then start, <laughs> I mean, it was like bizarre. I mean, I remember when he first proposed that idea and you could hear across the ocean the laughing from the from the NFL office, tumbleweeds. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> You're going to do what? <laughs> but somehow he he just believed and persevered, and and the you know not just Alistair, but every, everybody that works in here, and then the fans, because he believed in the fans. Yeah, Jeff, he, he believed did. that they were there. They it, just wanted did. the real thing rather than NFL Europe. And it, I think that's been the case when you look at the international series, quote the original international series. The preseason games failed here. They were big in Japan for a couple of years. Then the Japanese figured out, I don't want to see Steve Young come over and stand on the sideline yeah. with a clipboard. They want to see the real thing. They were sophisticated enough for the real thing. It failed in Canada for a lot of reasons. But here, it succeeded because of the fans. Was, was, I was going to say, you, you mentioned a leap of faith. Why was it London rather than, say, Germany, where NFL Europe was big? They had multiple teams. What was it about London that was so attractive for this, this leap of faith for the NFL? I, I can't speak to that 100%. I think Neil probably has a better feel for that than I do. Yeah, I mean, I think it was, again, there was a, a long-held belief. There have been more American Bowl games played here. Mm. Uh, in terms of NFL games, there would be more of a, a history of the NFL on British television back to Channel 4 in those days. And the belief was that there was a kind of fan base that was there. It was that sort of, if you build it, they will come kind of moment. <laughs> That's what I think they felt it was, that, yeah. that it yeah. was there. Yeah. And that this was a this was a market more sophisticated than Germany. That was the belief, I think. I think they they looked at NFL Europe and, and kind of almost looked at it as, well, British fans saw through NFL Europe as being third stringers or street free agents. Whereas if you went to Germany, they were they were there for five hours before the game. Yeah, they, they were, were having a party. They it was were an more event. I think, was, I think that's a great way to say it. It was mm-hmm. more about the whole thing, the, the event, the party, the... Mm-hmm. 
you know, I can remember the power party in Frankfurt or yeah. or Dusseldorf was packed three hours before the game, and then they kind of went into the game. I think because it was, you know, you had the Budweiser League here in the 80s, and mm. there was huge participation in the country, but the fan base was in a dormant state. Mm. But that's but actually, and I think the fans, when you look at British American football in the 80s, some of the f- championship games were at Loftus Road. There were like 15,000 people there. Yeah. Because you don't know any better at that stage. And I think they were happy to watch any form of American football. As, the, as you get more sophisticated, you know, we'll get to the stage now where when we dissect the four games, people will be like, oh, we're watching them. Or, yeah. you know, yeah. we, we've got really, <laughs> we've got really fussy, you know. Yeah, I, don't, yeah. I don't want to get ahead of ourselves in terms of the interview, but you're already seeing it on social media, right, etc. Yeah. When people are talking about the Browns have tweeted that yeah. they're possibly coming out, then mm. people are going, oh, the NFL are sending us the Browns. I'm like, but, hold on. Yeah. They weren't sending us anyone 10 years right. ago. But, but yeah, see, that's, that's the, the beauty of the thing. And I know from our podcast and, and the tweets that we get at the show, the fan base is so much more sophisticated mm. than it's ever been like i say it was in its dormancy and then we woke it up with the first american bowls and now it's come to the point where you know you have to it, it gets tougher and tougher mm. because it's more discriminating fan base the more football that they see and the more pods that they listen to and in this information age you know you can you can tap into things that you 10, 15 years ago, were no way. Yeah, part of me is because I lived the other side of it, being at NFL Europe games where no one's there. Yeah. You see absolute, what I would consider rock bottom. So part of me is always like, you should just be grateful yeah, for yeah. what you get. But then you think about it, new fans are coming in all the time. There are fans, if you're a new fan within the last 10 years, you've only known regular season games to be at Wembley Stadium or Twickenham. Mm. You are more sophisticated. You are more in touch with the world. You can watch everything in America that they watch on NFL Network, on Red Zone. You can watch everything an NFL fan does in America. That was never the case back in the day when I was first playing and covering the sport. So they are going to be more uh, selective. They are going to be more demanding. Mm. And whether we think that's right or wrong, the fans are the customers and they are the people that provide us with every opportunity of what we do and they are going to be more discerning yeah and i think one of the cool things about what we do frankly and this is why i do it is the growth of the game is that that's a many tentacled octopus one of the areas is you know education which is really what we're about it's information education and then I don't think player development is the right way to say it, but it's more like fan development through playing the game. And the more people are playing the game, the more fans of the game I think we'll have. And again, whether that's female, male, it doesn't matter. We're trying to grow the game. That's the ultimate goal of this thing. Realistically, Neil and I will probably never have an opportunity. He probably is. I won't be probably working in the game at the time when a franchise comes here. But I think that is when that happens, like that'll be the coolest thing in the world. I'm not doing it on my own. We need a special team. <laughs> I'm not doing it on my own, Jeff. <laughs> but I think it's going to be... You'll have retired to the booth then. You'll be with me. Come on, mate. Are you not putting yourself Breaking up the GM, up, Jeff? No, no, no. I, I, Broken up the partnership. Somewhere telling me. That's not, that's not going to be the case. I just won't be... I, don't, I won't be talking about whether to... 
block this punt or not block no, this punt. No, you're not worried about that. Exactly. Yeah. Well, that's a nice retirement plan, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, just going back to the World League and, and NFL Europe, you're obviously both involved in, in NFL Europe. What lessons do you think the NFL learned, good and bad, about the international market and growing the game? Uh, I think they learned, like we said about, you know, the, the highest possible product you can put on the field and in front of them is is important. And I think a more slow-burning one, which they're going to develop now, is that I think we need international players. Mm-hmm. I still think as this goes forward and as we talk bigger picture, I think you've got to find more international players that, again, then give that relevance to the market even more. And I think that's that's... Because obviously when the NFL Europe was around, there was practice squad spots on NFL teams, like eight teams had NFL Mm -hmm. international practice squad spots. If they get back to something like that, um, I think that would be, that would be big. Was there an element with that as well? You hear when people talk about NFL Europe versus now, this has been, uh, you use the phrase there, a slow burn through uh, from 2007 up to the four games this year. Mm. Was there an element with NFL Europe that they almost went, it's getting popular out there. Let's throw everything at it in one go. You know what? I have some really, really strongly held personal views about NFL Europe. I love it. I loved being a part of it. It was special to me. Probably from a career standpoint, it was not a good idea, right? Because you end up sat here next to me. Yeah. Well, well, no, what, what's, what ends up happening is when you come out, you're out of sight, out of mind, right? And it was never, nobody knew what to make of it. Right. In the States. Right. And so and I also believe that and this this we made more than our share of mistakes. Right. And I think one of the ones that we made and I think they figured this out is you can't go out of a marketplace for six months at a time and expect that you're going to grow in that marketplace. So having a presence year round is really, really critical. When you take a team like the old Monarchs and you play 10 games and then all of a sudden you disappear from the marketplace, it's too competitive. The sports entertainment industry, which is what we're in, is way, way, way too competitive, particularly in a big city like this. So you have to keep relevancy in the marketplace year round. And I really think that our people have figured that out now. And one of the reasons why they've allowed neil and i for example to do the podcast year round is no first of all they're not going to spend money on something that they don't think you know can drive people to to listen but we've proven that there is an audience here and they want to talk football all year round and they want to know about the draft and they want to know about free agency and they want to talk about the coaching changes and all of the things that go into creating there is no off season. That's the thing we always say. And there, and truly in the NFL, there is no off season. The NFL back there gets that. That's why you see the way that the business year is structured now in the NFL. There's no off season for the coaches anymore, right? Used to be they would they would get month two months off sometimes. Now you come out of the season, you got the combine, you got the all all the stuff you do in getting ready for the draft. You got the mini camps, got the OTAs, you got training camp. And now guys are getting two weeks off as opposed to two months off in the past. But it's it's because they know they have to keep relevancy year-round. 
that pace of growth is a is a really good point that I think will that you make because and it, and maybe it's it was relevant with NFL Europe but I think it was more relevant with the NFL the first go around with around the American Bowls and in the 80s now I only I kind of lived part of that as a fan and then I lived the back end of it as a very young journalist starting out and but but that was it, it felt like it was a there was not a structure in place it was a wow they like this in in the UK let's see if we can do a few games and sell a few t-shirts and and that's what's been different this time around because i think there's probably been a it, it, we've gone from one game a year to then we had two and then three and when we got to three we were like well before the following year and it it wasn't for a couple of years and and i think everyone sort of was waiting for that jump to, to four. <laughs> Everyone was yeah. looking for an excuse as well. Oh, it's the Rugby World Cup. Right, yeah, yeah, right, exactly. right. Exactly. So, and, and every time we didn't go to four, it felt like it was, well, three was a failure, which it was obviously not, nowhere near. It was a tremendous success. Uh, but the NFL was has been very cautious in the steps they've taken because, again, they're not planning to be here for a few years and then yeah. hit the road. They're and, planning to be here and be here for good. And... One one thing that you learned by working for the NFL here in London was you saw how the 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 monster works structurally, and that's what they coaches and players refer to refer to it as the league or the monster, right? So the monster doesn't like to fail publicly, especially. So it is they are not going to put themselves in a position where they can look bad on the world stage. It's fascinating to me. I've never been involved in one of the games. I hope at some point I can, but I hear I hear the talk in this building right here, all the way down the hallway, about the pressure that they feel when the teams come mm-hmm. because you're constantly being evaluated. You're constantly tr- – you have to put on the best show. And because the NFL is watching everything. Like when Neil hosts the Regent Street thing, that's a huge, huge deal. And the fan reaction that you get is a huge deal because there still are, I believe this in my heart, there are still plenty of people on the other side that are are naysayers. And the reason yeah. that's a huge deal is because you can show an owner a bunch of different spreadsheets, but if, 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 one, of them stands, if yeah. one of them yeah. stands on yeah. stage and looks out, that actually does, does a lot more than, yeah, that moment. Yeah. Yeah, than yeah. a PowerPoint presentation yeah. ever can do. Um, I found something you say, interesting you said there, Jeff, as well, when you talked about your personal love for NFL Europe. We, uh, Byron Chamberlain came with us in studio for a while, and I assume you know Byron, yeah. but we got into NFL Europe, and I made the mistake of, of using the word failure, and I meant it in a <laughs> kind of pejorative sense, but the mo- he was so defensive mm. about NFL Europe as a product and how good it was and how much he loved it. Why do you think people who were involved in it bought into it so heavily? Because it was, I think, a and I can't say this was across the board because it certainly wasn't. There were guys in it that were just taking the paycheck, that were maybe older coaches that were just hanging on for the experience mm-hmm. or you know, uh, somebody that was just there because they wanted to be in the next job. But for, all, for a lot of us, it was something that was really personal because you watched the players go through what they went through, particularly the indigenous players, the national players. Mm. And then you also watch the fans that were so passionate. And, you know, you think about people like Shuggy and the people up in Scotland. Mm-hmm. That, you know, they were there every game, mm-hmm. every World Bowl. Still, at the Super Bowl, you walk around the Super Bowl, and it's the coolest thing in the world to walk around the Super Bowl mm-hmm. and see 
NFL Europe jerseys. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's awesome. I, I, we talk about it being a developmental league for players. It was for coaches. It was for Trainers. officials. Mm. Every official that uh, went to the NFL went through there. When I was a, uh, a journalist still gaining experience, work, I was suddenly around... Uh, six teams full of players in the locker room. I'm writing the entire media guide. I'm dealing with all the players for their headshots. You develop as a as a professional when you're working in that. <coughs> People that worked in that league, like Jeff said, there were there were a large number of people that that cared passionately. The day it closed down, I was so depressed. It was so because people had put so much time into it, yep. and it was. Uh, you know, it was a it was a great thing to be involved in. It was it was fun from start to finish for me. No question, and, and uh, you know, y- you think about it, and it's gonna it's gonna rise from the ashes, and it'll have another incarnation. And I hope that the league understands now as a developmental league, and it may not come back here, mm. but there has to be a developmental mm. league because there's so many players that can play in the NFL that aren't playing in the NFL, and with the injury situation the way it is, they have to have it. I mean, in the football business, you have to have your talent pools got to expand. And that's, again, where I hope as they go forward with these ideas, and I know that they're talking about it in in New York, about a developmental league, that development of international players is part of that whole scope. Because you, you look at some of the guys that have been there, done that, like right now, where would New England be without Sebastian Moore, yeah. right? And there's a guy that's got Super Bowl rings that, you know, we found in a swimming pool in, in Dusseldorf, Germany. And there are there are more. Adam Durda, who works here, was with both the Chiefs and Carolina. You know, Effie Obata has been on practice. Route. I mean, they're there. They're out there. And if you uh, don't think we love it when we're working in that, we, some of those <laughs> Team Europe, when we're where, where Jeff was coaching Sebastian Vollmer, couple of those practice sessions were freezing, windswept, horrible fields in the middle of nowhere. I'm standing there doing the PR. Jeff's standing in front of the room holding up Sebastian Vollmer and telling the rest of the offensive line, this is the body you've got to try and get to. It was amazing. And think about this now. There were so many moments, and I get really emotional when we talk about it because I can remember a Team, <laughs> a team Europe development camp in Cologne and I don't know when it was, probably February, and a guy who was to go on and be a head coach in the National Football League had a snow shovel and was helping us shovel off the field so the kids could practice. (laughs) Why do you love NFL Europe? I can give you a million stories like that of, of people that gave way beyond their pay grade. Do you, do you think that, that not having a developmental league now, the, the NFL is, is really missing a trick? I know you said that Huge. they're addressing it. Huge. Yeah. And I, I, I could prove it to you from a pure football standpoint. Mm. Where are you going to develop your quarterbacks? It's a quarterback-driven league. You're making the game more quarterback-centric, but you're not providing a developmental environment for that, those quarterbacks. And what do you hear every coach say, every general manager say, every scout say when it comes to draft time? Well, the kid played in a system offense. He's not pro-ready. Yeah, he's not yeah. pro-ready. He's been running the zone read, right? Never took it. I mean, listen to all. I mean, that's why I'm saying to me, they need football guys in the discussion because I'm going to tell you something. When you're trying to evaluate a guy who's never taken a snap underneath the center, 
it's different. I mean, it's, but it's all part of the process. Fantastic. Do you NFL more NFL Europe? Or? No, no. Uh, let's move on to that first game because uh, I want to know if there was a worry when it was terrible. <laughs> <laughs> if you went, well, they're not going to send it back again now. <laughs> <laughs> Can't put the present back in yeah. the box. <laughs> I think, the, um, I think the, the, the one saving grace was and not everyone churns out the stat about how the Giants went on and won the Super the, to, won the oh, Super Bowl. Oh, trust me, I've repeated that yeah. so many times. <laughs> I'm not saying I haven't used it. <laughs> it's, it's the fact it made it into the America's game where yes. they say, like, I think the trip really brought us together. I think the biggest thing was, um, for me, I was in the press conference the following day because uh, they, they stayed overnight, the teams. They didn't get out like they do now. Uh, I was at Tom Coughlin's press conference the following morning and obviously he'd just won the game so he's happy but he couldn't have been uh, more pleased with the way everything went from start to finish and I think that was the key to get, especially in the early games, to get to get Tom Coughlin happy because you know that the next coach who's coming is going to be calling call Tom Coughlin. Um, to get that, that kind of set the ball rolling He's not and a man that's easy to make no. happy either. Well, you think about it. See, you're talking about a guy that's demanding now. Yeah. I mean, he's happy. Within the, first, within the first three years of the international series, they had to make Tom Coughlin and Bill Belichick happy. <laughs> that's some <laughs> skills right there. Yeah. You know? Yeah. <laughs> it takes some doing. Um, and I think, actually, I think I, when I watched that game, it was a terrible game. It was terrible conditions. Just because Miami lost. Well, yeah, that's really the reason. <laughs> that just added yeah, to the pain. It just added to the pain. And I had to watch Cleo Lemon at quarterback. <laughs> Gone were the halcyon days of Dan Marino. Here comes Cleo, Cleo Lemon. Lemon. <laughs> you want to be a 49ers fan watching Troy Smith and Descender. Yes, that's oh, right. Boy. Yeah. Listen, here we go now. <laughs> Descending. But I think, again, I felt like straight away that that fan base was knowledgeable enough to understand that you're going to get a dud game every now and then. Yeah. And we, you know, we've had a few of them down the years. But the more games we get, the more we're going to get that. You're going to have a bad game. And I always think when people say sometimes, oh, the crowd, the crowd was a bit quiet at Wembley tonight. It was like, yeah, because it was 42-7. Yeah, it would be that way if they... been quiet in Cleveland or LA or Denver. So it never really worried me too much, apart from how did the coaches feel about the logistics of it, and, and I think they did a really good job of that right from the get-go. See, I, I'll give you the perspective from the other side, right? Because, you know, I'm not here, but emotionally I'm here. Hmm. And I know how hard that struggle was to get the thing, you know, get that idea put forward, get it voted on, get all of the, all the logistics of doing it is amazing, amazing, amazing task. And I sat in North America. I was in I was in the United States at the time, and listened to talk show after talk show after pundit after pundit, fan after fan, say, "What are we doing? This is a huge mistake. They got no idea about American football over there." And I mean, every American. <laughs> I'm going to paint with a broad brush now, but in general, <laughs> Americans aren't the most internationally savvy people right well they're their own world champions yeah <laughs> so so for for the average fan was like had had no concept of what the teams were coming over here to and there was a tremendous amount of fan reaction backlash about that's our game 
That's our game. You can't take our game outside the United it, States. It would be the same There's, if it were a Premier League game to go over to the States. Yeah. Now, the reaction, I imagine, on the, these shows would, would be, be exactly the same. It would be. And that, that for me, is the one, the one sad and frustrating area as we sit here 10 years later. That still exists, that mindset. Yeah, I, can, I, I, I tell you, it's diluted. Not always. It's not as strong as not it was. Not as strong, but there are some still pretty heavy hitters in well, the US media that feel that way. Yeah, it was odd seeing, I mean, when it was the four games announced last week and when yeah, it, it got out there the week before, and you went and you saw, first of all, you saw fans reacting. There were messages on the bottom of the boards, and it's the same stuff you've heard yep. every year for the past 10 years mm-hmm. and beyond. But it is, it's when you hear somebody who's informed in the game who right. doesn't think it's a good yeah. idea still, and you just think... Do you know what? I, I'm not sure, Will, they're actually informed in the game. I think they're arrogant inside the game, and that's, that's too bad. That's really unfortunate. It's the same thing you guys struggle with. I'm, I'm, a, I'm just going to throw this on the table because I know it's true, and... This guy's one of the most knowledgeable football people I've ever been around about football. Right? For those listening, he's pointing at Neil Reynolds. Not, not, just making sure everyone's not, 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 not me, not, not Liam. Will's <laughs> moving around the table. No, no. But at, not stats. I'm talking about football, right? And there are other guys, you guys included, in this media that are, that are tremendously educated in the game, understand the nuances of the game. Far better than some guys that are sitting in front of a microphone in the United States. And I can, if you want, I'll give you some examples. Skip Bayless, mm. you know, and I'll give you some more if you want me to keep going, right? But because you speak with a with a English accent, British accent, somehow you don't know anything. Yeah. How, how is that? Go, go, going back to, to soccer again, Bob Bradley, the American coach at Swansea, he's had... Com- just mocked constantly. Mocked mm. Just because yeah, he's American, yeah. he's a guy with incredible experience mm. across the world who's was certainly capable of doing Coming that Coming to a really difficult situation. But, it, but it's, that, it's that snobbery, as you say. Mm. You, you have that accent, then people just don't take you seriously. Slowly, we're chipping away at that. And we're chipping away at it with every podcast that gets done that you guys do that every article that you write every time and 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 frankly if you're if you're in the british media you got to be better than the americans are because that somehow and i saw it it's this is it's so endemic to what it used to be like in football some guy could be working at an air force base somewhere over here and because he spoke with an american accent he go coach a team. He had no idea whether football that, had air, fe- air or feathers in it. That was but my first he head was, coach, Jeff. Because he was an American, he somehow was an authority in football. My first head coach in the British League when I played for the Medway Mustangs was exactly that. Just a, just a guy who worked, an American guy who worked in an office over here. And God Didn't, love them that just, they want to get involved yeah. in the game. But that doesn't make them qualified. qualified. No. And I saw, it, it's amazing. I'm, we're going to write a book one day, Neil and I are going to write a book, I swear. <laughs> because I remember it was like the, it like the freaking <laughs> Wild West back in the day. right? And every guy with an American accent that thought he could make money on the backs of the game came over here and tried to you know, run camps and do this and do that. And it was, in 95% of the cases, it was all just a rip-off job. We've they had a few just, of them on Sky over the years, yeah, Present they, company excluded. They just try and get... They just try I will and get, mention no names. Get, get the money and get out of Dodge. And what, did they, what they left behind was damage, collateral damage, if you will, right? And that's, again, why I think it's so important how we handle every situation, every interaction is important because... 
whether we like to believe it or not, all of us sitting around this table right now are involved in fan development. And you can't fool the fans like they probably felt they could back in the 80s. Yeah. Back in the 80s, they probably felt they could get away with Pulled it. Pulled all over the eyes. Yeah, yeah, you can't now. We have to be, we have to be so prepared. And I, I, Jeff laughs at me sometimes, but maybe it's because I'm, you know, I didn't play 12 years in the NFL if I'm sat next to Sean, or I didn't coach 30 years professional football sat next to Jeff. So I... I come in with some of my notes, they fall down onto the floor like a toilet roll, you know, and they keep going and going. But you've got to be prepared because because we're trying to cover all 32 teams and everyone is an expert in their team now. So you guys know what it's like, right? You're going to get get Twitter's going to tell you about it pretty soon if you get a name wrong. It it happened last night. We had made this comment. Neil brought up a comment about teams traveling, right? And Seattle's record home and away. And And I mentioned that the NFL has done a study and they have. And historically, for every time zone you move across, your percentage of wins goes down. Well, Raider fan calls me out on it on Twitter. Well, not us, right? I said it was. I'm not wasn't talking about the Raiders. And, 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 and this, year. Yeah. And, and and this year. This season yeah, as well. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> you know. But you, that's, that's but exactly that's where it's gotten to now with the fan base is they're incredibly passionate and they're incredibly knowledgeable. And if you don't bring the goods, you guys know this because you do it. If you don't bring the goods yeah. every issue, every show, every time you speak, people are going to call you on it. Oh, we got told if there's an error. Don't worry about that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, just, just move it. So we, we had the first game, and then it was six years of of one game per season. When, in your mind, did it sort of stop becoming? Oh, this is a oh, almost a novelty kind of thing, and and this is right. This is a regular fiction. Now the NFL's here to stay. Well, when did you assume there was going to be a game yeah. next year once that game had finished? I really, I did, I did get to that stage. Maybe it was foolish confidence, but I felt. Wembley's quite a sight, isn't it, when it's full? You yeah. know, and you oh, yeah. see it. And and to go from what we talked about in NFL Europe, see an empty stadia, I w- to to see that the first two or three years, um, just Wembley full, and then hosting tailgate parties, and there being sort of ten thousand people packed around a mini field, I, I was really really confident early on that it, this was kind of here to stay. I would guess the only time I had a sort of potential wobble was just around the lockout in 2011 I think Mm. they announced late they kind of sold tickets later that would be the only time and that was nothing that had anything to do with with London I sitting here now thinking about it I can't ever remember maybe I was a bit blase but I just expected (laughs) us to kind of have this thing rolling and for it to keep going because there was no there was no kind of going like that with yeah. it. Everything was everything you hear is always going the other way. See, I think for me, I was a little more conservative with it, and I thought I think maybe the third game when it wasn't just a one-off mm. deal, and then like Neil says, everything perception is reality, particularly when you're dealing with those owners, and when you pack Wembley and it looks like it looks, and you put the product out there like it was packaged, and then you haven't you have a you have a phenomenon like Regent Street happen then you get their attention because this is how – I mean, it's the NFL is the ama- most amazing organization in the world. It's 32 mega capitalists working in a communistic system, <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah. So, Biggest socialist organization yeah, in the world. Yeah, but <laughs> what they see is potential growth and revenue. And I think that when, when you did it three times in a row, now it's not a one-off. Now it's not a phenomenon. Now it's not just, hey, you know – 
it's a circus that's come to town. Now it's legit. Yeah. I think, as you said, the, the steady growth as well of, of six games, sorry, one game a season for six years and then, and then moving on to two, it's been a, it's been a slow process, but a, a good process to do that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think, again, that adds the legitimacy and, and shows, you, you know, we're now, we're at a stage where so many teams have come over, you know, the numbers are there's a lot more that haven't yeah i think we're down to nine, nine teams yeah, nine yeah. teams that haven't been over uh so far you know i think adding those games you know, just gave the fans that i think what quite early on there was a lot of talk about franchise really relative probably too early in terms of th- being thrown out there but i think what the bringing two and then three kind of showed well actually we're serious about that yeah. and this is the steps we're taking towards that. So that was where it was important for me. And I, I think it became more than just a, more than just a one-off day out. Then it was, it was a legitimate part of the NFL season. I'm kind of intrigued as to how it's been in, in your day-to-day life as well. Cause what's amazed me, I started working at TalkSport four and a half years ago, around the time of the Olympics. Mm. And at that point I was one of maybe two people in the office who was a big NFL guy and I was doing the athletics, I was doing the football, but I was always pushing to do, I was like, we've got games out here. We've got to do more of it. I can remember speaking to Alistair at those early points and him saying to me, I can remember being the crazy guy who asked for one game. And now I'm the guy at the gate trying to stop them bringing more bringing games. More, yeah. <laughs> um, but but I, what amazes me is I go into the office now and over half of the office will be at least partially knowledgeable about football mm. and be able to talk to me about it and they'll have a team. and they'll have. So have you noticed in your kind of day-to-day more people speaking to you about football, recognizing mm. you for football, like when you're outside of this environment here? I, I don't think there's any question because now I get stopped on the street. I get stopped in – I was telling these guys the other day, I was, I was walking from Piccadilly Circus up here, and there's a TJ Lewin or whatever one of those men's stores is, and this guy runs out of the store. <laughs> he worked at the store. He runs out of the store to say how much he loved the NFL and he loves watching the show and who's going to win this weekend. And that's, you know, you you talk about a grassroots evaluation. Mm -hmm. When you get stopped on the street because they associate you with the game, it isn't me they want to talk to. They want to talk to the game, right? And Mm -hmm. they just see us as, and all of us share that, right? Mm -hmm. We're just part of the game. And that's, I think it's cool. Yeah, it's grown. That's grown. That's the bit that I think I noticed the most from a, from a personal point of view, because I started on Sky 2011, yeah, and I was never, I've never done any, you know, bits of TV on and off on Sky, but I wasn't a TV person. I was a written journalist who ended up on TV because he loved the NFL. So, you know, it was it was interesting to see. The start of 2011, you would be happily walking around everywhere. You don't see anything. And it's just grown and grown, you know, and it's to the point now we're on a flight to uh, Orlando for a family holiday. And then, but and somebody did, didn't approach me, but then just put on Twitter afterwards, Neil Reynolds' family were, re- uh, Neil Reynolds' children were beautifully behaved on what was a very bumpy flight. And then Mrs. Reynolds is backtracking to think how many times she's had a go at me during the flight. And did they notice that? We can't go to Blue Water Shopping Centre without reading the kids the riot act before we go. Um, you know, last, just last week we went for a, a coffee on the morning. I had a Friday off. And we just, there's a coffee shop just around the corner from our house. So um, Mrs. Reynolds said, oh, I'm not putting any makeup on. Tie the hair back. Out we go. And then the person behind the counter gets very excited about talking about NFL. She's like, oh, 
damn it, didn't put my face on. <laughs> but it's just, it happens all the time. Jeff's, you know, it can be all sorts of different places. And it's just, they just want to talk to you about their team, about their love of the NFL. And it's, it's, it's really fantastic to see. And that's why I think we like doing the fan forums so much when we get to go out. That Actually, I would say of, be careful here because I have a quite a good gig on Skype. I would say the fan forums are among the f- favorite things I do yeah, we for go, the NFL. We, we go to Belfast, right? And it's an hour and a half before the show. And, you know, Neil and I feel we have a responsibility to the fans to be around them. So other, some, other, some other guys don't like that, and that's okay. But we walk out into the foyer outside of where we're going to have the show. It's an hour and a half before the show, and they're lined up out the door. And I, and we kind of looked at each other and both in the, at the same instant had the, had the realization that's more people than were in White Hart Lane when we played in White Hart. We had that tour in the summer, back end of the summer, where we took OC mm. and we went, started in Scotland, ended up down in Portsmouth. We did one, one show in... Uh, our bus arrived in Leicester on the Friday evening. We're doing a show in Leicester. Bus pulls up at three thirty, I want to say, and we were going to go on. Net. We were on stage at seven thirty. Where, where was it in Leicester? Does that have interest? Uh, at the Leicester Tigers Stadium. Oh, right, okay, yeah. off the road. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was it was at the stadium. So we pull up at the stadium, and we go into this cop, and then outside, we're like three guys stood by the door. I was like, man, just four hours, <laughs> four <laughs> hours to stand there and wait, but they just. They just love the NFL, and and that that if you think about it, those outside of the games, those fan forums are their their chances to kind of touch the sport and yeah. see the players and see the guys and chat about it all. Neil's being all blasé about it, but I remember our flight back from Arizona where we happened to be on the same flight and the pilot name-checking Neil when he did his announcement before the flight. <laughs> we got Neil Reynolds and the Sky Guys on our flight today. Oh, that's cool. And then he, and then he made some joke about Pete Carroll's decision-making. <laughs> I don't yeah. want to tell you, but he also put me in business class and said he's leaving Vernon Kay in economy. That's just how I roll. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. Uh, I mean, yeah. I'm just just sort of building on that. I was doing the average attendances since 2007 of, of I the saw NFL that teams. Tweet, yeah. Dallas is the only team that have a higher average attendance than than London's had, and that's I mean, it's just staggering, isn't it? Yeah, just I mean, and, and that's why you get teams that uh, the Miami Dolphins have been over, you know, several times yeah. now. The Jags as well. You know, the, there have been times, not so much this year because. Dolphins are playing pretty well, but there have been times where people have gone to that stadium dressed as orange seats, and and it's it's not the case anymore uh, over <laughs> here. You know, you, that's your one guaranteed sellout wow moment. Yeah, you know, it's a sellout. And I think you know it's really, in a way, kind of a shame that, and I've never talked to the man, but I I, I just have a lot of aloha for Shah Khan and his aggressive approach over here because if you think about it if he had a better product on the field right now he can have two home mm-hmm. bases mm-hmm. and that to me is progressive thinking now there's some risk involved because you know he he actually had people over here and they've got an on-the-ground presence and all, so on and so forth but the product hasn't the football product hasn't kept up with the business idea right and i think that's why you got to be able to have both of those things because somebody will figure it out sometime and a successful team will have an on the on the ground 
presence here, and then all of a sudden look out because now you've got the opportunity to fill two huge stadiums. Yeah. And it's all about, you know, as you as, as the the game grows and the business grows, it's not just about what how many people are in. It's not, and it can't be the way that money is in the game. It can't be attendance driven. It has to be driven by a much bigger picture than just football attendance. In, in well, attendance just gives you that great backdrop. Yeah. The for full the, stadium for the TV, which is where your money is. Which is the <laughs> perception. Theater. Right. And when you're perceived as top class and you're perceived as a winning organization, what happens? You start selling more hats, T-shirts, and all those. Mm. Why are there so many Dolphin fans in the UK? Well, I'll tell you why. Because there was a time when the Dolphins were a really good football team while those guys were just coming into their knowledge of the game. Why do the Niners have such a strong following here? Because they remember mm. those great 49er teams. You know, Again, go back to the Bears. Why are there Bear fans here? You know, almost in everyone you talk to says because – you know, they saw Fridge when he came over here yeah. or, you know, they remember, you know, Walter Payton yeah. or the 85 yeah. Bears or whatever. It's all of that, but it's mostly Cleo Lemon. <laughs> <laughs> it's, you must get it, though. It's the biggest one now is Seahawks fans tweeting every day going, is there a chance Seahawks coming over this year? Because, they you say, success breeding that new fan base. Well, and I think other than the Jags who yeah. are getting a, a, a fan base here now, that's the biggest growing one because they're seeing mm. something they like on the field. So I think you're absolutely right. It'd be great if we could get those two matched together with Jacksonville. And yeah, and I, I think what, what happens as well is that everyone, and you see this when I do like once a week for NFL UK, a little Twitter yeah. Q&A thing, and you see everyone just, not always, but the majority of questions, what people want to know about their team. Of course, yeah. You know, they want to know about their team. And I think even now we're at the stage in the international uh, games and the London games where people want to where's my team coming mm. you know and maybe that that's almost that's probably for them more important than we're at half a season of home game slate and we're inching towards a franchise people still just want to know is yeah, my w- team coming w- because they've is, got that passion and which is really true because I I bet I could count more over two dozen tweets that I've gotten people ask either direct message me if there are people that I you know interact with or just on raw Twitter, who's coming? Is yeah. you know, are the Raiders coming? Or you know, and I'm like, dude, I got no, <laughs> I got no idea. But they want to know. It's not like the, I mean, it's like Christmas to them mm. because you know, you think about it. Well, what difference does it make if you find out today or tomorrow? Mm. But it's they're so passionate about mm. you. I'm telling you, and, and again, I have a perspective. You can take. The, the passion of the NFL fans in this country and it stacks up with any place in America. Oh, if, and any knowledge, place. And knowledge. And knowledge. All of it. It's any exact, place in America. And I think that's changed over the years. You yeah. know, there was always that. And I think sometimes it was said almost because that was all what was expected to be said. I'd go and interview players and you'd sit and do a one-on-one with a kicker and the kicker would be like, oh, here, I'm going to get the biggest cheer. And I'd be like, no, you'll be surprised. Yeah. We'll cheer in all the right places. you just got to give us stuff to cheer about. Yeah, don't miss um, one. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, don't miss an extra point. <laughs> but it wasn't ever a case of, you know, we didn't know what we were cheering about. Yeah. I think even from that 2007 game, everyone was sophisticated enough to know what's I, going I on. I also, think, I also think the British audience is different as well because if a kicker 
hits the upright and it bounces back. Do you know what you're going to get from the English crowd? Pick it up. Hooray! Yeah. Yeah. No, exactly. They're going to all laugh at you and exactly. take the mick and it's going to be... And you, we, you don't get that. They don't get their irony in No, the and US. I think we have that. in. There's a, there's a certain British kind of element yeah. to... Sometimes on Sky, Jeff laughs at me. You know, he'll say that I'm sort of the get-off-my-lawn grumpy old man. But that's, <laughs> Nimby. It's just the Brit in me, you know? I like to have a moan about stuff. It, I feel happier when I'm in a bad mood. Yeah. <laughs> And I think that's a British thing. I think it's a British thing. Jeff, you are far too happy and positive. Have a good old moan. Get down in the dumps. Have a Twitter rant and then get it all off your chest. You know, I can remember uh, when I was in... They actually had an international player development program. And I was a part of that. And I can remember... Football's not a mystery. And finding football players isn't a mystery either. So... I was sitting in a planning meeting in New York in the NFL offices, and we were talking about where to go find the players. And I said, well, there's a demographic, a physical demographic that you must, it's basically like you got to fall within these parameters, right? Well, where in the world are those people, right? <laughs> and, and one of the things we said was we got to do something in central London because that's where you're going to find those athletes. Mm. We've got to do something in Nigeria. We got to do something in American Samoa. We got to do something, you know, in Fiji. And they looked at us like we had seven heads mm. and they said, well, they don't spend any money. There's no, there's no interest in the game. There. I said, do you want football players mm. or do you want fans? Now it doesn't have to be mutually exclusive, but one of the reasons why they said, they let us work in England was they did a study in the NFL about the countries in the world that spend the most per capita on following their sports teams. And the UK is one of the highest. And so that became a marketplace yeah. where we tried to find players. Now, again, I can get into all the, all the other issues about player development, but I still say, I still say, somebody's going to figure it out one day in college football and they're going to start spending time over here because there are guys here that, if you're, say, for example, the University of Wyoming or North Dakota State or you know Oklahoma State or Kansas State or some place where you have a small population base, come over here because you don't have to recruit against anybody, and mm. the kids are not spoiled by the process. And you know that, like, you look at some of the athletes walking around mm. this country, and you just go, man. And it's interesting. I, I got into you're talking about the Jags' uh, presence on the ground here. Sat, I went to that sit down with Hussein Naki mm-hmm. the other week that they do every year with the guys from the press. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, Nick from the Sun was talking about his two boys are both playing university football now. Yeah. And firstly, the attendances in university football are starting to look like they did for the the best days of, yeah, of what you guys had in the kind of eighties and nineties. Yeah. But there are teams now who are actually putting out. American football scholarships and there are teams now that are they are really putting effort into developing they see it as an area of growth and actually it's amazing that that part of the game just organically kind of by itself yeah. is starting to yep. to grow and, yeah. and that's amazing to I, see I think I see it the, across the grassroots stuff I saw it when I played uh, the first time around and I'm seeing it now as a parent my mm. son plays uh, quarterback um, for the Kent Exiles he's 15 he's done a couple of years of flag uh, and he's just going up to the youth level now. And it has grown organically. There's not been a direct formal formal partnership between BAFA uh, and the NFL. Uh, there's there's support that's there and there's little bits and pieces, but there's no kind of this is the structured tie-in between the two. But 
that again going back to 2007 the games that you see you, you know the, the the numbers have grown we're like we're up to about 40,000 people playing in yeah. this country whether it's flag football and that's boys and girls whether it's women's football which women's football is one of the fastest growing areas mm-hmm. of the sport uh, university football are up north of 80 teams now i think it's 82 teams this year um that has all happened because of the i think it's happened it's, they've kind of serviced each other because the 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 international series has helped people get into the sport and then decide they want to go and play but university football as well is just basically because they're so having such presence on yeah. campuses yeah they have just taken people who have no idea what the nfl is but like the look of that sport they start playing that sport and they've become nfl fans mm, because so of they've it. kind of done the two but it, the the grassroots stuff for me is is great to see it's going to be interesting somebody will figure it out someday and they'll start an academy over here mm. and watch out when that happens because it's it's taken the organic approach but putting some logic and some direction and planning to it it's almost i, I can't say haphazardly happened but it's as you say, well, that is true. That is, but, it is in a but, way, though. Yes. I think you see with the, what the Jags have done last summer and again this coming summer, and, and this is what Nick talked about. His boys weren't that interested in going because they just assumed, oh, it's going to be loads of kids. It's going to be very low level. It's not going to, you know, it's too open, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Then they heard back such amazing reports from the first year of it yep. that now they're now all desperate to pay their they money and go part, along and yeah. be part I, of it. I, yeah. so. I went to the, the session in Loughborough and you had people from Russia, people from Sweden mm. who just paid. <laughs> and that, that was the kind of scope. It wasn't yeah. just sort of this, as you say, the, the, the quality was really there. Here's where the next step <clears> is, though, uh, because, they're, again, we're having great help in terms of people like Andrew Luck want to come over and mm-hmm. run their own quarterback camps and work with young uh, British players. And the Jags have done that great camp as well, which was a really big success. Mm. If you find three or four really elite players that could go on and play, whether it's high school or go on to, to college and then who knows where from there. You know, we've sent Menelik Watson to, uh, you know, to, the, to the pros. We sent Jack Crawford, JJ. The problem is if you're a young British kid who's really good, you, uh, you don't know where to go. You don't know how to do it. And that's where it needs to get more organized. See, we're not reinventing. I mean, we're not in, this isn't an invention that you got. The, the, the system has been, we had the system in place. Mm. And when we had it, the International Player Development Program, Neil said, I think he said, how many did you say? Eight on practice rosters? I think I it was eight. I think it, it actually yeah. got to, to 16. Yes, it did. It doubled. Yes, yeah. it did. Yeah. And when you think about that, that where that came from, and it was really run by three people. And was underfunded and all kinds of, th- you know, the, basically it was started as a way to get just kind of, and I know this for a fact because I remember the quote, direct quote from a guy who worked in New York. We're going to give them enough rope to hang themselves, right? But you know what? If you just evaluate NFL Europe on the ground here, that international player development program was the one thing that succeeded. Because it did put those kids out there, and those weren't gift situations. Those kids, and then some of those kids went on and played in NFL games. To think that it was done with the budget that it had and the number of people that worked in it 
is phenomenal. Nobody will ever, no, nobody ever talks about it, but that was a huge, huge deal. So it's been done. Mm. It can get done, mm. right? Do, does it need to be a bit of a longer-term process in terms of you see someone like Lawrence Okoye who physically phenomenally gifted, and, yep. and, and you tweet that that 49ers line, you speak to someone like Justin Smith, and he talks about Lawrence being the first guy in the building, the what? last guy out in the film room. Yeah. But if you've not been with the game from a young age, yeah. it's so difficult to develop the well, skills. You're exactly right. And I, Neil and I had this conversation about his son the other day. He's now at 15, is at a watershed point in his American football career. I watched him play, and I'm not saying this because Neil's sitting there. Um, I watched him play in about eight or ten seconds of video the other day and what i saw was a kid has athletic ability and he's going to be big he's going to be tall right i can't judge his arm strength or all those but i i understand i know how it works and i know what you need right but now the critical thing for him is how can he develop that talent because you got to do it at this age not when you're 21 Mm. not after you've played Mm. international Mm. rugby or after you've been an international athlete in track and field because it's too late. And that's why Okoye, there, I mean, he had some liabilities, but you take that physical structure mm, mm. and think about what he would have been like had you got him at 16 years old. Oh, yeah, terrifying to think. I, 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 exactly. Mm. So now you're talking about an elite-level NFL player because he had that kind of skill set. Mm. He just was so far behind the curve. When he when he started, so we got to find him younger. We got to start him younger. We got to train him younger. We got to give him opportunities younger. And if you do, it's not it's not rocket science. It's just development. But more teams would take a chance on the FA Abadas of this world, on the Lawrence Okoyes, if they knew they could put them on the practice squad. Mm-hmm. You know, like we've seen with Moritz Boehringer in the end, has ended up on the practice squad because you know I, I saw Mo in training camp and. You know, he's a great story. It's a brilliant story, and I wish him all the best. But watching those receivers go through drill after drill, when it was his turn, there was a separation. You know, there was a drop-off. And I think that that's got, to, that's got to be overcome with time. You've got to have time to develop. You know, Lawrence talked about how he was always, you want to just react as a player, yeah. and you can't. Lawrence was thinking, then reacting, yeah. and, they, and then it's gone. And it goes back to what <laughs> so you, you said. You want to put them on a practice squad, basically. Yeah, it yeah. goes back to what you said about development as well. You know, it's such a big step up from that to the NFL. Yeah, if they've, they've not, not been used to practicing. And again, exactly. yeah, it's not even, right that's what I'm saying. It's so, like, like the football guys in New York thought we were completely out of our mind. They said there's no possible way you're going to make up for that much ground Hmm. right because the nfl has one of the unique things about the nfl is its development system doesn't cost it a penny i mean you got premiership teams that have you know their academies and they got all their youth teams and all that and and they got scouts all over the world the nfl their development league is free college football Hmm. doesn't cost them a dime all right so they look at that as why would we want to go invest in you know, these guys across the ocean. Well, the the reality of it is there are fewer American kids playing football than ever before. And you want to continue to grow your talent base. You better find new, it's like mining for gold. Mm-hmm. You, you can, you can, you can pan in the same stream forever and you'll get some gold, but you might, if you go over there, you might really hit it rich. And what, what, what I truly believe is that 
there is that opportunity. There is that vein of gold over here. Mm. And Dable, the French receiver, is mm. another mm-hmm. perfect example. Tremendous body. Tremendous. All the anthropometric measurements you could ever want, right? But just too far behind in his development to make up that jump that fast. Mm. So, you know, again, I, I, I'm optimistic about where it's going with player development. And then that always dovetails into what? Mm. Fan development. Yeah. Yeah. Because, you know, I didn't play in the NFL. Neil mm. didn't play in the NFL. We love the game. Why? Because just like most kids, somewhere on some field someday, you picked up a ball and played and said, this is really cool. And you're de- and you, you know, became a fan of I the game. I think that structure of the, if there was some kind of structured practice squad yeah. thing would be, would be huge because you wouldn't have Anthony Darblay suddenly signing with a team that's got Odell Beckham, yeah. Victor Cruz, Sterling Shepard, Roger Lewis. You know, it was, he was up against it right yeah, from and, the start and he would be placed in a better situation. He would probably be placed with a coach that had a great receiving coach. Yeah. Um, you'd look at all of that kind of stuff and place guys where they're best going to grow because they're not necessarily going to see the field straight away. Yeah, and and there's a certain degree of, and I know it still exists, there's a certain degree of prejudice, if you will, against the international kids in the coaching community, in the mm-hmm. NFL coaching yeah, community. Because be they say, ah, we don't have time for that. I, I'm here to coach that guy. And he, that guy was an All-American at Alabama because yeah. mm-hmm. my ass is on the line here. Right, right? I, got time for I ain't got that. time for, mm-hmm. to develop that guy. What's, what's he going to do for me? So... Just, just going back to what you said there about about fan development, and obviously the the Jags are one of the teams that have put a lot of money and, and time into developing the game over here. How important is it having that continued presence of a team been? And people almost forget that you know it was the Rams originally who signed mm. up for the, yeah. the multi year deal, but the, the Jags have come in and, and really grown, grown yeah. as we we have. It's funny because uh, the Rams signed that deal, and then with what they had going on in St. Louis, couldn't yeah couldn't fulfill, stick, it. fulfill yeah. it, and the Jags were upset that they'd missed the chance to sign the long deal and then jumped in as quick as they could um i think again it just it just adds another uh, another layer to it i think if you see teams that there will be teams that take their turn because they have to take their turn but if you see a team that uh, as jeff said wants to build the fan base wants to be here wants to come back year on year and and you know been very fortunate to spend a lot of time around a a number of the Jags players and coaches and they do genuinely appreciate what they're doing. Now there's a benefit to them. You know, it's not, they're not, they can win over here. Yeah. But then, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I, I made the mistake of repeating what you told me to Tad Dickman in the locker room and, uh, almost and getting, almost getting run out of there. <laughs> yeah. in, in the space of 12 months, they had as many wins at Wembley as they had at Everbank. Well, yes. And that is, Ouch. If, shots fact, fired. Yeah, if they don't win fact. on Christmas Eve, their only home win will have come 4,000 miles away from wow. Jacksonville. The, well, is there a right? stat yeah. that I'll be rolling out on Christmas Eve for that one. Um, yeah, no, I just think it's that when you've got a team, you know, I think it's, again, once you start to see things happen time and time again, you become a little bit mm. numb to it. So you think, okay, well, the Jags come back. That's what they do. But this is a huge deal to have a team give up a game every year. And, I, you know, I think actually we'll, we'll see a time when they want to give up more than one game. I think that's in there, their interest. There well. is talk of that happening, whether yeah. it is, and, and I know, obviously the announcement's coming tomorrow, sure. so we don't know where we are at the moment. Yeah. 
anyone but I bet Neil knows. But um, there's talk of a team coming over and doing two games, whether it's two Jags home games, whether it's a, a home game and a road game. How important is that as the next stage of development towards building yeah. doing eight games even a franchise I think that's uh, that is the next step to have a team come and stay here and play one week work out all week on a normal practice week then play again and then get out of here and again it's all these different ways the NFL is testing this the Colts not having a buy off the back of the last game the lunchtime kickoff so you can get teams out again now you know, obviously that may change again but um, you know they're all different every single way you can kind of test it that's what they're doing. And, and and away from the football, they're testing all sorts of stuff. They're testing uh, they're testing how's the best way to get in and out of airports. What's the best kind of planes to use? Uh, what's the best way to get around uh, tax situations for, mm. for players? Do we base a team on the East Coast of America? How do we get free agency? I mean, there's a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of it, stuff it, that indicates that they're, they're not just... So much deeper than people realise. When yeah. people talk about the issues of a franchise, you know, the idea of the Tuesday morning free agency free workout. Workouts. Yeah, yeah. How are to, you going to do that if you're yeah. based in London and the guys have got to fly yeah. thousands of miles to come and do it? But that, just, yeah, that that to me is an interesting one because but, would you really feel it was your franchise if they were just playing games here? I think we still would. I th- yeah, and I think that one's not an insurmountable hurdle. Mm. You know, you you would have an US. You have to Satellite have a US. Office. Yeah, mm-hmm. you'd have to have a US presence mm. because that's where. You basically your talent pool is right now mm. so you would have i'm sure uh, new york or florida or wherever depending on you know finances office where you could get those tuesday morning workouts done where you could you know all the things you need to do to run the football part of it see i, th- I don't think any of these things are insurmountable mm. issues right they're just kind of ro- checkpoints that you have to go on your path and and i think frankly the the fans have and the people that have put the games on and everybody they've checked they just keep checking off boxes mm-hmm. i know? think that the, the bye week was big this year and they yeah. went back and, and won their game it was the bears but they won yeah. that game. yeah from a football standpoint yeah because there's are you gotta it's just like being a player in training camp you gotta eliminate their reasons to say no mm. right and that's just the way it is and that's where you get that perception stuff because mm. uh you know i'll name him but mike florio of pro football talk has been quite down on the international games that we have here in in london and there was a lot of stuff about well the colts are going to be struggling to come back off their yeah. uh, london game and then play the following week and I, I i didn't normally i get into a little bit of twitter back and forth on it but i didn't <laughs> i don't think i did with this one but i actually took the time i asked the nfl i worked out how what time was the team going to leave Heathrow? Yeah. What, how long was the flight? What time were they going to get back in Indianapolis? And it was actually earlier than if they were coming back from what would be a, an afternoon, you know, a 9.25 hour time game in Seattle. Yeah. So if they were playing a West Coast team and they get back, they were, they were back in Indianapolis by one or two in the morning, their time, local. There, there's an interesting conversation to be had around that as well, and we could be here for an hour talking about kickoff times mm. and, and the movement of them, because the fan reaction here has not been strong to the idea that some, no. if not all of them, will get moved back to mm. six o'clock. But um, it was Paolo Bandini mm. from The Guardian yeah. was with us the other week, and he interviewed Clark Hunt for this very issue we're doing now. And Clark Hunt said to him, the biggest thing for us is how team-friendly those early kickoffs are because we can leave the stadium by mm. mm-hmm. five thirty, six o'clock, be on a flight home, yep. and it's just like we've done a 
coast-to-coast game right. and the guys can be ready to go two days that's, later. That's the biggest thing for me. I think the, the lunchtime kickoffs do do three things and two are really important and one sort of less so for, for me for this market. Um, the first one is it gets the teams in and out so the teams can get in uh, and they can get out that night. They can be home. Like you said, they, they're ready for their next week. Uh, number two, mostly, I've seen younger fans coming into the sport. You know, stand yeah. on the stage at the mm-hmm. tailgates. The young Biggest fans. feedback we've had is I won't be able to bring my bring kids to 6pm. Yeah. Uh, no. and, yeah. and families are a big part of those stadiums mm. now, and that's your future. You know, that's going to be the, the future fans. So the third one is it allows you to play a game uh, and air a game uh, in prime time in the Far East. I mean, that doesn't really affect what we do here in the UK, though, but that's another aspect of it. New York are happier with that, though. So. Yeah, they are, yeah, so you keep the, you service the mothership. But I think what, what this conversation, and I know from, I, I, again, I tried, before I went on Sky last week, I tried to get some clarity on that. Those kickoff times aren't set yet. You know, that's, that there was a, a leak from New York that they want to move them all back. But I think there's still a kind of, discussion that's being had between NFL UK and NFL New York because they want to um they still like those lunchtime kickoffs yeah. they would rather play locally at lunchtime but I think what's happened looking at it from the outside I think that's a reaction to the you know the narrative of the year in in America has been that TV, TV ratings, ratings are down. Yeah. do you know what I've do you know what I've loved actually about that whole thing though has been uh, we're talking about the idea of going on Twitter and defending it. And mm. uh, yes, I, I went out there and I, I kind of banged the drum that I like the early kickoffs and for the reasons why. But what's been funny is seeing people, American journalists, American writers who understand mm. and actually have them defend why it works. And, and hit seeing Greg Rosenthal say, well, hold on, you're putting on 12 Thursday night games of incredibly varying quality because teams are on a short week. Yeah. If we're looking at saturation, why aren't we talking about that? Right. Why are we talking about right. three games a year being played at a slightly yeah. earlier hour? There's a game. Yeah. Uh, there's a there's a game this week. The Dolphins and Jets on a Saturday night. You know, I mean, you could you could point yeah, and if it, you were only looking for to find three examples or four examples, you could find them easily, and you wouldn't have to be looking at London. Uh, you think you know, people you, weren't tuning in for Matt Moore versus Bryce Petty? Is quality <laughs> gone are the days of, again. Gone are the days of Dan Marino. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, you put you put Raiders Chiefs on a short week, yeah. and that's, that's that's a, a division decider. Division decider. That's mm-hmm. a huge rival game, and you and you put on, I, you know, unscientific feedback from the early kickoffs across the ocean was fans liked them mm-hmm. because it was another game they could get to watch. Football, it? Yeah, yeah. It, it, and it was almost a case of I remember when they first announced them. People tried to find any excuse. You know, you had people trying to turn up church groups to to bang on the mm. table and say, you shouldn't be watching football in the morning, you should be going to church. You know, it was absolutely anything they could mm. find to say yeah. why it was a bad idea. Yeah. When it actually happened, it worked. Mm. And Yeah. And, and Neil, Neil hit it right on the head. From a purely football standpoint, you're talking about the organ, the coaches and the yeah. get in, play the game, get on a plane and get home. And so, because here's the reality of the coaching world, right? Those coaches are working that five hours on the way back. Everybody's got their laptop open, players too, and they're grading film already. So that's mm-hmm. five hours of work they're getting. So it's not like they're sitting on a plane and now uh, no, now we got to go in the office and break the film down afterwards. They're actually using that time. So when you put them back on what would be a, quote, normal week schedule in the NFL, I don't see there's any reason why playing over here can be used as an excuse. 
Feels I, I like the lunchtime kickoffs. Yeah. It feels, feels to me about too much has been made about TV ratings in the NFL when it's kind of a society thing. People don't watch as much TV. People yeah, I, I, that's, streaming, see, that, that, yeah, that absolutely fascinates me because so much negative energy in the media back in North America about you know television ratings, yeah. the NFL's television ratings. The NFL's, let me tell you something. They ain't losing money. Yeah. Right? Mm. And it's you guys know because it's it's this generation is cable cutters right they're not watching football on on tv they're watching it on youtube and all the other platforms that they have to watch the game and talk about the game the game is at its zenith in terms of interest in the game fan interest in the game absolutely why do you think the salary cap's going up again Mm. right yeah it's not like they're (laughs) cutting corners absolutely Mm. Um, I just wanted to, to touch on the, the international market. So obviously you mentioned China. We've, we've had a game in Mexico this year. There's there's talk of other games in China. Brazil's been mm. mentioned. Um, Mark Waller said at the, the Super Bowl last year, he sees that as a completely separate entity to the, the London aspect of the international series. Is, is that sort of your view as well? Yeah, I've just finished writing a um, an article on the sort of international growth for the Super Bowl program that's going to be out, out in America. And I spoke to Mark about that again and, I think they're two different things. Mm. I think uh, every time we see a, a game given to Mexico or whether it's Germany or Brazil, wherever it may be, we shouldn't view that as, well, that's one less we were getting in the UK. They're, they're, completely, mm. uh, they're completely separate as far as I can see. Um, I think Mexico was a success this year. I think they had some some challenges with... The phrase logistical nightmare was thrown around. <laughs> That's the words that I was thinking of using. I thought I'd stay politically correct, but you know, since we're sitting in the you're, uh, you're allowed to do that sitting in the NFL boardroom. Um, yeah, playing, we're not here to challenge you, Neil. What are we here to do? Playing a mile and a half uh, above Denver might be uh, might be a challenge for players. Um, yeah, getting in and out of Mexico City, so they they had some issues. Um, but I think, you know, speaking to Mark, when I wrote this article, he was like looking at what's gone on around the NFL. And uh, you know, he was saying Germany and Canada would be next. That's 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 the the plan. They still like they still like the idea of Brazil, I think. Um, but yeah, I think uh, I think they they what London gives them is a kind of a safe receiver on third down that's going to pick up the nice. first down. <laughs> Do you like that, Jeff? Yes, no, that's, that's it. Possession, it nice. possession receiver. Possession receiver. <laughs> I'm, I'm using that right now. I'm London is <laughs> Julian Edelman. <laughs> <laughs> and Brazil will be Odell Beckham. <laughs> no, Ted Ginn. Ted Ginn. <laughs> yeah. well, drop it in the air. He might drop it, but it's going to be good if it hits. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And we want to be there. <laughs> Do, do you ever see another country having four games a year and having the, the same level of success that, that London's had? I I think at the moment, I, I still think there's... having At the start, we kind of said that Germany was happy with whatever they got. But I think still when the game started and the party ended, the fans in Germany were fantastic. Yeah. It was a great atmosphere. They were really into it. They loved it. Um I could see a, I could see something happening there. I mean, Jeff works in Canada all the time. He'll t- I don't know, you know, Canada. I guess to me, Canada always feels like it's sort of, you know, it's the safer one for America because it's right next door. Well, I, I I have a Canadian family, and they like I've been out to BC Lions games, and I've been out in Vancouver, and 
the Seattle Seahawks are a much bigger team in Vancouver than the BC Lions are and yeah. maybe will ever be again from mm. this point forward. So NFL, they, they already buy into it in a very yeah. big way. So they, yeah. they see it. It's just the Bills games didn't, didn't work very didn't. well. Yeah, so. and I'm going to tell you, there's a lot of reasons why they didn't work very well. Because if you think about it, and I think, I don't know if the phenomenon is quite as strong in Vancouver, but I know for a fact that I think it's over a quarter of the Bills season ticket holders are Southern Ontario fans. So the logical thought process was put Bills games in Toronto and grow it that way. But the reality of it was, and I think this is one of the things they would have an issue with when, if, if Vancouver's as a site for a game, you got to get across the border, right? Now you have to have a passport to go to the game. Right, even though you're, you know, you're U.S. It's forty-five minute or an hour to Toronto, right? Forty-five miles or whatever it is. So you got to have a passport to go, and that means your kids got to have a passport to go. In both of those stadiums, there's absolutely no tailgate area, right? So it's a antiseptic environment, and so if you're a if you're a football fan, you don't get the game day thing that you get here. I think one of the pushbacks I've heard about Twickenham is that the game day environment around the stadium mm. without as much tailgate area mm. and, and food, you know, food, food, food opportunity, all of that stuff has to factor into the game being successful. Do you know what's really funny about Twickenham is that everyone I've spoken to who has gone out to games in the U.S., has said it felt more like a game in America than the atmosphere does at Wembley. Huh. Like, actually, the, the fact that, yes, there was less stuff, but there were the, you know, in the same way they have with the rugby, where there's the food stalls on the walk down right, there, right. and there's the, yeah. the kind of, it's the area around it, not just combined. Com- yeah. You know, you're not going just to the stadium. Almost that traveling there felt like yeah. part of the experience. And, okay, I understand because it's an older stadium. The seats aren't as comfortable and as big. Right. And Wembley, we were a bit spoiled with Wembley, let's be yes. honest. Because it's, yeah. you know, top two, three stadiums in the they world. It could be a Lambeau probably. Field. They haven't even got backs on this. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, so it's, uh, at least you've got a back to your seat. But, I, you know, again, I think there's, there's, no, there's no doubt the NFL wants to be back there and because they have more opportunities, the more stadiums they have. Yeah the more games they can bring over. So they, they will have, uh, I'm sure they will have gone to Twickenham with a, a, a laundry list of this is what needs to be improved <laughs> and this is the standard that we're used to because mm. we are the NFL. And uh, yeah, I think going back to your original question, I think I think at the moment, I think the focus will be on pushing a potential franchise yeah. over the line here. And then, then once that's in place, then you, you have that confidence to go out and play more games around the world. But I think... I think Germany could definitely see more games. Who'd have said they have four here ever? Yeah. Oh, no. Right. Crazy. So for us to think that this can't be repeated somewhere else in the world mm-hmm. is, you know, let's not make that same mistake that everybody made mm-hmm. when they put a game here. Mm. Seems like a significant landmark fall as well with the, the half a, a home schedule if you mm. were going to build towards a, a potential mm. franchise. That, that was the big one for me, um, uh, was that when you look at half a, half a season's worth of home games, um, I feel like now we, um, I th- feel like we're ticking another box. Well, yeah, yeah, and I feel like we're on the we're on the sort of home straight, if you will, of, of potential franchise. Because I think once you get to, I don't know what, they, but about half the stadium they say is is season ticket holders. So that's about forty thousand people that are buying a season ticket. There's franchises in the states that would take that. You know, outside oh, of your oh, outside of your huge, Green Bay's and Dallas's, but you think they're getting. 
40,000 season ticket holders in San Diego or I, yeah. is, is that the the deal with Tottenham and the turning that into an NFL stadium and the fact that that's a smaller capacity that's to big, Wembley yeah that to me the idea of playing eight games seems big to me that's the bigger that to me is because people always say to me well and, and I think there'll always be in that interim period there'll be a games played at Wembley there'll be games played at Tottenham there'll probably still be games played at Twickenham and they'll kind of use all three again from that fact of you know we want to be able to schedule these things in uh, and get as many games as we can I still believe that if we're playing a franchise here and we've got eight games to sell out and the 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 common argument you get back is well well there's two one is well I won't swap from my existing team and number two is how do you expect to sell 82,000 eight times a year and I always said well I don't think you will I think you'll be looking at 60 at Tottenham yeah, yeah because you look at the new stadiums that are coming online in the NFL there's no one exactly wants that big one that's anymore. exactly we just went through this in Hamilton building a new stadium right and it's 26,000 people I think and you say well why why, why 26,000 people why not 40 or 45 or 50 which is probably what we could sell out on occasion. But we've had, since the stadium opened, 27 straight sellouts, which makes the ticket more valuable. And the the perception then of the product is, you looked at the Rams game yesterday, and this was really telltale to me. And I know how the NFL works. They always use low camera angles and that so that you can't see empty seats. But the Raiders are fighting for a divisional playoff win. And... Uh, opportunity to go to the playoffs, which hasn't happened in a long time, and you watch the Raider games, and still in Oakland Coliseum, that whole upper deck yeah. is tarped, tarped yeah. off, tarped off, right? So moving, like you said, moving to sixty thousand seat stadium and selling a whole season's worth of home quote home games, mm. still having the ability to bring, let's say it's two, you get a great matchup that you know is going to take it and put it in Wembley. Hmm. Well, right. I just I just did the math very quickly. Say, say the season ticket numbers were slightly lower because it was eight games. Say yeah. you had half the stadium with season tickets, 30,000. On an eight-game schedule at Spurs, that'd be another just under a quarter of a million tickets that'd have to go to casual fans. Mm. If you're doing it at Wembley, it's 440,000. Yeah. You know, that is a mm-hmm. huge difference yeah. in the number of tickets you've got to sell to make it a sellout. And who's saying 60,000 people four times over isn't a success? It no, it's huge eight times success. over. Yeah. It'd be huge. You yeah. look at the NFL stadiums that are being built. When Lucas yeah. Oil Stadium opened, that's about 61. Levi's Stadium is, you know, was good enough to host the Super Bowl, and that's around the 60,000 mark. The, the days of, with the exception of Jerry Jones. Jerry World, yeah. Jerry World. Uh, I don't think the Washington Redskins, if they had their choice again, would make FedEx Field as big as it is. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's a lot of those. T- they downsized Soldier Field in Chicago. Yeah. Right? It's, it's happening all around the United States. Uh, Dolphins, compare the Orange Bowl yeah. into what they're playing now. Yeah. And I think you would, uh, again, you, you do need to, that's the other big argument is, People here have their their teams. That's where Dallas Clark mentioned it when we did the fan forum last week. He said, you lot are great. You're like me in Iowa when I grew up. We didn't have an NFL team, so you can pick who you want. But I still maintain that if there's a team here regularly, that not everyone, but I think people will still come along to the games, yep. would get behind a London or a UK franchise. And we've got to remember that this is growing all the time. And it, and I ha, I see with the Kent Exiles flag football team from a year ago they had six or seven kids on a Sunday morning now they have thirty five or forty 
if you have a franchise here mm-hmm. and those new 30 kids come along, the chances are they're going to support the London yeah. franchise. Yeah, and, and actually, I'll, I'll give you a cautionary note, though. Okay. They better win. <laughs> they have to be competitive. Yeah. I think yeah. that's really, yeah. really yeah, yeah. important. Mm-hmm. And that's a strategic decision that the league's going to have to make because you put a Cleveland Browns in here. It doesn't, I don't, it'll, it may work, but it won't work at the level it needs to work, yeah. I think. I think they want to have a competitive team. Feel free to talk to us in ifs and buts here, Neil. But yeah. oh, this isn't going out before yeah. tomorrow. So uh, as far as we're aware, Cleveland are going to be named a team that are playing here tomorrow. And um, how big is it? It's not just a fourth game, but the fourth game involves the least popular franchise in the UK for American football. Mm. If that sells out, how big is that for NFL UK? Oh, to me, that's bring us a franchise. <laughs> bring us a franchise because, uh, you know, I was, I was looking at some of the numbers today and, the, the, you know, the losses dating back to last season. <laughs> um, you know, trying to spin it and put a positive on, on that. Um, you know, you're, you are talking about a team with a great history and a great tradition. But a a great fan about, base there. Throughout America. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I lived in Vegas and there was a bar in Vegas that every Sunday yeah. was it turned into the Cleveland Browns. Mm. I mean, so you, it was like the dog pound. We are talking about, a, I think, a popular team in terms of what they've been yeah. in America. But here, and again, perception, you're going to be looking at Potentially, uh, you know, you know that's, that's going to be a tough sell to say this team yeah, potentially could I, be over. And I think you've got to sell that history. You've got to sell – got to have Jim Brown here. They've got to sell the, mm. the, the history of, mm. of the Browns. Yeah, I think it's the, the balance is it's most difficult because you could cite other teams, maybe the Titans, the Texans, the kind of mm. newer franchises which aren't as immediately popular here because people don't have that connection to them. Mm. But if you're then going, well, but we're bringing – Lamar Miller, DeMarco Murray, whoever these, these right. teams are yeah. successful, then yeah. that's different. Mm-hmm. It's the kind of combination of a team that aren't traditionally yeah. popular here and are losing. Mm. I think that's going to be really interesting to see what the reaction is to that and if it does sell mm. as quickly. Or- yeah, yeah, well, yeah. and that's the thing. If it's, I think they chart all of the kind of pace of sales and they, you know, Alistair Kirkwood's very big on research and mm. analytics mm. and that kind of stuff. That would be fascinating to see because I think Again, everything they do at the moment is with a view to kind of sending a message back to the owners of the 32 teams. Well, look what you uh, look look what we dealt with, and we sold it out again, and we've we've had positive feedback. And I mean, we this, went is, to this, stadium. A, this is a huge one for Haslam. Think about it, right? They're they're saying, what'd you say? You, if I can quote you, six dollars, six dollars, six dollars for, Christmas, for Eve, yeah. Christmas Eve tickets, yeah. six dollars for Christmas Eve tickets. If we can sell it out, think about that, what message that sends to the other owners. At, at 120 quid a club right. seat and, yeah. and yeah. 40 quid yeah. for the cheat. Yeah. You know, think about what the, what's at stake there, mm. you know, in terms of moving the thing forward yeah. again. Well, just, just to, that was a question for the future. Obviously, the 10-year the point now was quite a vague question. Mm. Where, where do you think we'll be in 10 years' time? If we were sitting around this table again, Jeff's obviously the GM of the franchise. <laughs> 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 That's tough. Um, <laughs> I'm the mascot. <laughs> I think that the, the, the timeline I always point to is, I think, we're what, halfway through the latest CBA? Yep. Five years to go on that. I think any, any London franchise has to kind of be within that bigger negotiation of, you give us this and we're going to take that. And 
you don't want the commissioner to have as much power where we want the London franchise. That's got to be part of that give and take. I don't think it's going to happen before that, but I do think it's not going to be long after that. I, I think we'll have a London franchise within five years. Um, I still think... 2022 is repeatedly yeah, a number yeah, that I, I, I hear I, and repeat, and, and I think that's, that you, seems like a, a benchmark. 2020 is the CBA. Well, yeah. 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 And, I, and I think that's really important because they're going to need buy-in from the players. Mm-hmm. They're yes. going to need buy-in But from if the players, players get... Okay, well, this is what the pie is going to look like. Yeah, which is, again, it's just give and take. Yeah. It's negotiation. That's what that whole thing is. It's got to be a part of that. And I do think that uh, there was a... I still think it's a possibility, but there's still a possibility we just get an eight-game slate. Yeah. But I thought that would be, you know, if it was a package like the Thursday night football, where it was, uh, you know, if it was if you if you sold it in America as... Breakfast at Lo- breakfast in London <laughs> series, you know. I mean, it, but I just think now, with by the sounds of it, there's a kind of pushback on breaking games out of that 1 p.m. window. And when I talk to the likes of Mark Waller and talk to the commissioner, and that is that that eight game package very rarely gets mentioned. Franchise does get mentioned, yeah. and and sometimes you don't even have to really push them that hard on it. You know, mm-hmm. Jerry Jones is talking about. I mean, the the amount of owners that talk about it. You know, I could sit here and list them all. It's uh, it's a growing number of owners, and they're and, and they're influential owners. They're like not the exactly Kraft. the right like, guys. Right. Yeah. It's Jerry Jones. It's Robert right Kraft. Guys. It's uh, Woody Johnson, and there's there's a lot of people that kind of have the commissioners here. Dan mm. Rooney. Um, there's a lot of those people that uh, want to see a franchise, and, and I think that's and and they're the there's a lot of them that are from the kind of new guard of NFL owners who wanted a team back in LA and wanted Stan Kroenke yeah. to get what he wanted and they see the pie growing and all of that but there's enough of the traditionalists that are the Clark Hunts of this world as well who are who are on board to get it across the line so I think you know we're not talking it's not like it's just us four sitting here dreaming of a franchise and you know making up helmet logos mm-hmm. it's 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 the powerful decision makers that are driving it and when you ask them a question they don't even shirk they just go straight out with it yeah. we want it yeah and, and we're happy are happy to talk about it you know well that's the biggest thing you like you hit it's the it's the guys that matter i mean it, there's a power structure within the power structure yeah absolutely and it always has been that way and one of the reasons why nfl europe failed frankly is the jerry joneses and the and and uh, the al davises mm. didn't want the league they thought they could do it a different way, and eventually, you you it was constantly fighting against that negative, you know, energy. Now it's the other way with this franchise because it's the right guys are saying the right things, and obviously everybody's got to vote, but they got the strong, they got the lobby power, they got the strong. And influence. people work out which way the wind's blowing, yeah, and they that's, that's, on a that's win. corporate like America winner, right, right there, and that's the NFL. There are more guys in that New York office testing the air, testing the wind every <laughs> at lunchtime <laughs> than any place that I've ever been. I, I think that's what fascinates me about Shard Khan because he came in as a, a new owner and did all of this at the same time and I always thought that could be a real problem for the yeah. Jags doing it was that you'd get those old school owners going what's he doing yeah what are you yeah. what are you yeah. playing to but actually it's almost worked in their favour because they've been like right we can let him go and make the yeah. mistakes yeah. Make, yeah. take the risks <laughs> and then take like, the lumps. we're behind him yeah. it's fine you know so and you then we'll, nip in, and we'll yeah. nip in and put our franchise there <laughs> just like we said <laughs> yeah Sean uh, 
I think it's going to happen. I mean, I think it's a nice problem to have that we're even we're wondering about if it's going to happen these, because it means regard. we might get four, five, six games. I don't think they'll actually do it that way. I don't think we'll have to go, okay, you've got to, to sell, you've got to sell five, you've got to it's sell six, six. It's you've got, got to, to sell seven. seven. No, I don't think we'll, yeah. yeah. I think just showing enough with four games... I, I see. I've always thought it would be that way, and more and more recently, I've thought, in a way, the the, the novelty of going mm. from four, five to suddenly being eight with a franchise well, will yeah. make people go, "Oh, yeah, I'm going to buy into that." And actually, even without the winning, the, the mentality of British fans, and I think this is why you were right, Neil, about people <laughs> winning people over, is that you kind of get entrenched in your fandom. So you might be a Patriots fan or an Eagles fan or mm. whatever, but then you. Watch this team week in, week out, and they become. It's, it's yeah. your part of that yeah. now. You see yeah. now and with the Jags, don't you? That kind of mentality, yeah. that that uh, tribal almost. Mm. Yeah, and if we, if they are rubbish, Jeff, it's good. It gives us something else to well, moan well, about. I, you know what? When I say that, I, maybe maybe you're right because I look at the Premiership, and you look past the first five teams in the Premiership. Yeah, y- 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 I don't care. I mean, other than Leicester City's one-off. Yeah. I mean, mm. those teams at the at the second half of the Premiership, yeah. they got no shot. And they know they got no shot, but mm. the fans are just still as passionate. Now, does that translate to our game? It'll be interesting to see. Mm. see I want to ask you guys this question. i throw this on the table here. Hear your take on it. Is it going to be an existing franchise moving here or a completely new franchise? Because there's issues on, in both regards. I'd, I'd be, I would be surprised if they expanded. Uh, if it was a, a new franchise almost ta- getting rid of one, so it's moving but not moving, seems more sensible mm. or just doing the move because expansion carries so much else along with it and as- in terms of what it says to the... And you're almost, you're almost upsetting the apple cart too much by going, not only are we going to have a team internationally, but we're going to change all of your schedules as well. We're going to change all... Like, everything's yeah. going to yeah. have to change. We're going to do an expansion draft. We're going to do it, and it becomes far more difficult for them to do it at that point and the, the big thing you said about being competitive straight away well history tells us the majority of expansion teams are mm. not good for the first few years so then you're getting a poor team coming across and mm-hmm. you're not getting the attendances that you need unless they're the Jags yeah. and they do it the opposite way round where they're good for about five <laughs> yeah. years and then <laughs> fall off a cliff and, and also you probably got you probably got to add two teams yeah. And uh, yeah. I think we've uh, we've seen that there aren't enough quarterbacks to go across 32 <laughs> teams there. But I think you're right. I think the point you make, Will, is a good one, is America is and American sports are kind of used to franchises relocating. It's yeah. one of the things that British fans don't get sometimes. It's oh, like, God, the NBA Dons AFC Wimbledon thing again yeah, this weekend. And- yeah, you know, it's how can they, how can that happen? How can the the heart be ripped out of St. Louis and go to the Los Angeles and become the Rams. But in that circle and in American sports, it's kind of accepted. So if we, if we had the uh, London bill, oh, I'm going to start some rumors, hot rumors now. <laughs> if we had the uh, London bills or the London Raiders or the London chargers or the London Jags, I don't think it would, um, I don't think it would upset that apple cart you're talking about. And also it wouldn't, it wouldn't, obviously be as bad from a competitive balance point of view. Yeah, I think we can sit here and talk about all the different logistics of it ad nauseum. And cool, I think, let's I think get Jeff's the kettle right. on. <laughs> I think Jeff's right. I think they will all work themselves out. I don't think there's any need for us mm. to sit here and talk tax no. breaks and bye weeks. <laughs> and I'm just going on to Brexit now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for that. <clears throat> no, I'm all good. That's fantastic. Right. Yeah, that was great. Brilliant. It was really good Thank fun. Thank you so much. Really yeah. It was really good. 
Thank you very much for listening. This has been the Gridiron Show in association with Touchdown Trips, getting you in the game. Tweet us at Gridiron. We'd love to hear from you. Draft specials coming up from next week onwards. And then the season is almost here. Thank you for listening.